What's up, Maple Grove? How's it going? Uh, as Katie said, I'm from Elk River, so greetings from Elk River, Minnesota, the hub of progressive culture and, uh, and central, central Lutheran Church. So they are worshiping right now with us as well. So there is this old, oh, by the way, before I begin, you were handed a string when you came in. If you could take that string out and with the help of maybe your neighbor uh, or someone close to you, wrap that string around your finger and tie it. And not too tight. If, the, if your finger begins to look like the string, you've tied it too tight. So just loose enough that it will hang there and not strangle, strangle your finger. All right, everybody got it? Good. There's this old passage, this old ancient prayer found in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's called the Shema, which is a Hebrew word that literally means hear or listen. And I just love that word Shema. Everyone, let's say Shema together. Ready? Shema. Yeah, sounds good, right? You guys learned Hebrew. Well done. Way to go. So Shema, as I said, means listen or hear. And it comes, this prayer, this ancient prayer called the Shema, comes from the lips of Moses. And it comes at a time in Israel's history just before they're about to go into the promised land. And remember, for centuries they had been enslaved in Egypt as slaves under the oppressive rule of the Pharaoh. And times were tough in Egypt, right? And they had wondered, has God abandoned us? Has God forgotten about us? Will God ever rescue us? And then in one of the most pinnacle moments in Jewish history, God delivers the people from Egypt, right? Right into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they kind of wander around for about 40 years. And just before they go in, God gives them the law a second time, which is what the word Deuteronomy actually means. And so he gives them this passage right before they're about to go into the land. So I thought we'd do this. Uh, we'd read it together in the spirit of the Shema. I'd like to ask everyone to stand up. And we're going to recite this passage together. It should be on the screen up here. And this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. And so we'll do our best to just recite it together. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and on your homes or houses and on your gates. Amen. You can be seated. Well done. Good job. So listen, O Israel. Hear, pay attention as if what is going to come next is going to be vitally important to you. Listen, pay attention. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with every fiber of your being. And then the Shema goes on to say, talk about these things with your children when you go here and when you go there, when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, think about these commands that I give to you. These are extremely important. Now this Shema, this prayer, became a uh, sort of a, um, a daily uh, ritual for the Jewish people. They actually began to recite this prayer, the Shema, over and over again, two, three, sometimes more times in any given day. And it became very part of the very fabric of the Jewish history. Even today, in certain Jewish cultures, they will recite the Shema two, three, four, five times a day. Which is interesting because many of us have never even heard of the Shema. So why this passage? 
Why has the Shema become so famous and so embedded in the Jewish culture that they will recite it even today three, four, sometimes more times a day? It comes from this sort of unknown book in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, in chapter 6. It doesn't even open with chapter 1. It just comes in chapter 6, in the middle of chapter 6. This obscure passage. Why has it been so important for the Jewish people? Well, I think everything revolves around strings. The reason this passage is so important has everything to do with strings. I'll tell you why. So I want to tell you a story first, though. My wife and I have been married for about 17 years. This is a picture of our family. That's my wife on the left, and those are my four crumb snatchers in the middle. And uh, my oldest is 12, and my youngest is 6, so my life is pretty busy right now. And uh, I met my wife 17 years ago, actually 18 years ago, when I was 19 years old. And uh, all you need to know about me back then was that I was a, uh, a total knucklehead, right? And I met her, and I liked her right away. I thought she was cute and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but like, I guess deep down inside, I didn't really know how much I liked her. And uh, you know that part of the brain that young people, it isn't fully developed yet? I don't know what it's called, like the frontal cortex, cerebral, whatever. Right? I, that, wasn't, that was totally me. Like, that was not developed in my brain yet. And so there was a lot of things that I did that would just make me wonder why in the world I did those things. So I met Katie. I liked her. But I, I actually wasn't really sure how much I liked her. And I think I even might have told her that at some point in our relationship. I said something like, hey, I like you, but I'm not sure how much. <laughs> yeah, which uh, it did not go over so well. That is not the way to do it, uh, guys. I, uh, it didn't go over so well. Um, but anyway, I, I knew she liked me, though, because even though I had these sort of, uh, you know, missing parts of my brain, I did have this keen understanding of the female mind. No, I'm just, her friend told me, actually, that's how I know. I did not understand the female mind, but her friend told me that she liked me. And so I kind of had taken it for granted, like, yeah, I could, you know, I could probably, you know, date her if I wanted to, and I was just being a total knucklehead, as I told you. And... One day, after we had been friends for about a year, I thought to myself, you know what? I should maybe figure this out. This probably isn't fair to her. And uh, I should figure out what I'm doing with my life. So I remember laying in my bed one afternoon in my dorm room. There was nobody else in there. And I thought, I'm going to pray about this, which is kind of a novel idea, right? And uh, at this time, I'd begun to sort of build my life around God and try to figure out how do I want God to be the center of my life. And so I thought, I'll pray about this. So I remember laying there, and I prayed, okay, God... And I almost said it kind of flippantly, like, oh, God, should I marry this woman? And I kid you not that I felt like God spoke back to me. And I don't know what I was expecting because, again, I sort of said it flippantly. And it wasn't like God spoke out loud. I couldn't hear it with my ears. And it wasn't like God wrote it in Sharpie marker on the bunk above me. But I felt like God in that moment said this, Hey, Ryan, what?" if you couldn't have her. And in that moment, it was like, I can't really explain it other than like my, I had this, this physical reaction, right, in my body. Like my chest went, like kind of tightened up and I sort of like lost my breath a little bit. Because in that moment, I had like this total realization, like, like, like that was totally real. Like what, what if I couldn't have her? What if she was gone? Or what if she had moved away? Or what if she fell in love with somebody else? And it was totally real for me in that moment. And I was like, Ugh! it was awful. And then I felt like God kind of leaned in and grabbed me by the collar of my shirt and said, 
See, you knucklehead. I added that part. But see, Ryan, see how much you really do like her? And I was like, well, I do now, right? And I, I remember I, like, I left there and I ran to my friend's house. I'm like, dude, I, I really like Katie. Like, I think I'm actually like in love with this woman, right? And I told him, I'm like, if she will still have me, I'm going to marry her. And we got married about a year or so later. And I tell you that story because over the 17 years of our marriage, I would sort of qualify our marriage. I would say our marriage has been beautiful, right? It's been this good and beautiful thing. But I would lie to you if I said that every single day was rainbows and butterflies. You know what I'm saying? Because marriage is hard, right? Any married people out there? Maybe it's just me. But marriage is difficult. Community, friendships, relationships, these things are not easy. They're difficult, right? Because when I'm in close relationship with somebody else, I realize what a selfish knucklehead I am. And like this death to self, this other-centered kind of love, ah, it's painful. And marriage has shown me like this is not easy. And so we've had lots of what I would call peaks in our marriage. But we've had lots of valleys. We've had these, you know, I would call them intense discussions. Some folks call them arguments, but Christians call them intense discussions, right? And I know there's been moments like the, like the storm clouds are brewing, and one of us is thinking, like sitting across the table thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Now, I've never thought that, but I'm sure Katie's thought that about me. Like, what am I doing with this guy? But it's in those moments, if I can calm down and take a minute and take a deep breath, and if I can remind myself of that day in my bunk praying to God, and that feeling of what it was like to potentially not have Katie in my life, if I can remember that, it's like somehow in that moment, like this hard shell that has grown around my heart, begins to crack open just a little bit, right? Even just a tiny bit. And in that moment, if I can remember what it would be like to not have Katie in my life, my heart begins to turn just a little bit, ever so slightly back towards Katie and away from self, right? And in those moments, I'm somehow able to give and receive love a little bit more and a little bit easier than I had even just a few moments before. And so in my life, I've sort of created this rhythm where when times get tough, and my friends, if you're married or going to get married or want to have a deep friendship or close relationship or community like church, you've got to know it's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows and butterflies. It's going to be hard. But in those moments, if I can remember, I've created this rhythm in my life where when I have those moments, I think back to that day lying in that bed and that shell begins to crack open. James Smith, who's a professor at Calvin College, writes a book called uh, uh, You Are What You Love. And he, he says this, our hearts are calibrated or are like compassed or set in a direction through being immersed in practices or what I would call rhythms over time that index our hearts to a certain end, that our hearts are shaped by things that we do that sort of point them in this direction or point them in that direction. And my friends, it is the exact same way with God. You see, the Shema, 
was this prayer that reminded Israel. It was a reminder for them. It reminded them what God had done for them in the past, right? That they were slaves in Egypt. That they were under oppressive Egyptian rule. And that even though they had felt like God had left them, had forgotten them, that he hadn't. That he had liberated them. It reminded them that they had been delivered out from under Egyptian rule through the sea, right? And they'd been rescued and delivered. It reminded them of their past, but it also reminded them of their present, where they were right now, that they were right in the front of the promised land, that God was going to do what God had promised to do. And that God was with them right here and now. And it also reminded them of their future. That this whole thing was headed somewhere. That there was a direction, an aim, an arc to this whole thing. That life had a point and a purpose. And it had everything to do with the people in it. That God had blessed them. Remember back to Abraham and Sarah? God had blessed them so that they could be a blessing. And that God wanted to use Israel as his conduit for God's love in the world. You see, God had given them the laws, the commandments to teach them how to live as free people. Because for years they had lived as slaves. That was easy, right? Just do whatever the Pharaoh wants. And suddenly they're about to be delivered into this promised land and God had to teach them how to live as free people, which is much, much different. So the Shema was a reminder of what God had done in the past, what God had delivered them from, what God was doing in the present, and what God was going to do in the future. God was teaching them and showing them what life was all about. And here's what it boils down to. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And perhaps the rest will take care of itself. Right? Like St. Augustine once said, love God and love others and do whatever you want. Now Jesus shows up years later, right? Jesus shows up way down the road here. And Jesus is what? He's a young Jewish kid who grows up probably reciting and saying the Shema. So this expert in the law comes to test Jesus. Remember this guy? And he's going to put the screws on Jesus a little bit. He's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you, uh, why don't you sum up all the law in, in one command for me, will you? Oh, no problem. <laughs> the entire law, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, sure, I'm game. What does Jesus do? Jesus quotes the Shema. He says, yeah, dude, uh, here's the greatest commandment. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first one. He quotes the Shema. And the second is kind of like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mic drop, and Jesus just walks away. <laughs> right? He just Shema'd that dude. Right? And it's almost as if Jesus were to say, hey, and you know what, buddy? The rest will take care of itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And love others as you love yourself. And maybe the rest will take care of itself. Now, this sounds super easy, right? Oh, no problem. We were that, yeah. I mean, he boiled down the entirety of the Jewish law into one thing. Oh, I got that, no problem. But it's not so easy, is it? Loving God, loving neighbor, that isn't always so easy. 
In fact, what we found out is pretty tough. So the Shema became a reminder, like a string tied around their finger. Hey, remember Israel, what I did for you, what I saved you from, what I liberated you from, that I had not abandoned you. Remember Israel, what I'm doing right now, currently in this moment, don't fall asleep. And remember Israel, this thing is headed somewhere and it's got everything to do with you. That I've blessed you to be a blessing and I'm taking this whole experiment called humanity in the cosmos. We're going to take this thing somewhere. Don't forget it. And so Israel's like, oh yeah, oh my gosh. When they recite this prayer, oh yeah. This is how we're to be as free people. And when the world around them tries to sort of mold them in a different way, they remember, no, 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 we're free people. This is how God wants us to live. Love God and love others. Boom. Because it's easy to forget, right? I mean, life gets pretty crazy. You saw my four crumb snatchers up there. Life gets chaotic. Like my life is one moment of chaos, followed by another moment of chaos, followed by a a game of Uno, which usually ends up in chaos, followed by maybe like a little bit of a break, followed by more chaos. Right, I kid you not, I wake up in the morning, I have to get up early, super early before the sun even comes up, before the sun has even thought about coming up, if I want to have a moment of quiet. And it doesn't last long, right? Then my kids are up and we've descended into this sort of abyss of noise and just madness. And I'm trying to help them get ready for school and brush their teeth and get their homework done if they didn't finish it the night before. Trying to get their lunches packed and get them out the door. And I shove them out the door. Then I rush off to work. And I go to work. I'm doing my thing. I come home for lunch and rush back to work. Rush back home. Get them from school. Get them to do their homework that night. Take them to baseball. Take them to basketball. Rush them back home. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll get to go to our favorite restaurant in the entire universe. Chipotle Mexican Grill. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm talking about. It's like heaven in a tortilla. My gosh, it's lovely. But even then, I've got about a 20-minute window, right, of, of no chaos because they're starving. So they'll, they'll behave for like about 20 minutes, you know. And for those 20 minutes, it's like a little house in the prairie. Like, yes, sir. Yes, father. No, father. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, mommy. No, mommy. And they're sitting down and they're eating and it's quiet. Like, oh, thank you, God. This is beautiful. But I'm watching the clock, Right? Five minutes, let's get going. And I eat kind of social, I'm like trying to shove my burrito in. And at the 20 minute mark, everything falls apart and then ravels. <laughs> Suddenly there's rice flying across the table, right? One of my kids has dropped half their burrito on the floor and they're eating it off the floor. It's like madness, like all of a sudden like Lord of the Flies has come to our table. And one of my kids goes running by with no shirt on and his face is painted, right? And there's a kid with a spear behind him, like where did you come from? And my daughter comes running out of the bathroom with a pink conch shell, and she's blowing the conch. Where did you get a conch shell from? What happened? We were eating burritos. And I'm like, let's get the heck out of here, man. We're going to get arrested. So we rush home, and we get them all cleaned off and put the spear away. And I put them into bed, and we read them a story because you have to. But I'm reading like at five times the normal speed of my reading because i got to get it done and get out there, you know. And they're done, and I get outside, and I'm like, oh. I mean, kids are great, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But I sit down and I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I was supposed to like love my kids today. Did I love my kids today? I look at my wife, I'm like, man, I'm supposed to like love you today. Did I love her today? I was supposed to enjoy this. What was I doing today? 
I don't even remember what I did today. Right? Like the chaos sometimes makes it easy to forget. You ever been there where your life is so full of whatever or you're so focused on whatever that you forget what the point of all of it even is? And we rush from one thing to the next and we've forgotten. We've forgotten who we are and where we came from and what is happening now and what God is doing now. We've forgotten that God is even in the present moment sometimes. And we've forgotten that this thing is going somewhere and it somehow has something to do with me. I was supposed to do something today, wasn't I? And we sort of little by little begin to veer off course. And that shell around our heart begins to grow just a little bit harder. And our eyes begin to see a little bit more dimly. And our ears get a little bit more deaf to the things, to the love and the ways of God in this world. Right? You ever been there? It's because of that that I've decided, my wife and I have decided as a family, we're going to create these rhythms and these practices to try to do whatever we can to stay awake and to remember. So we'll do things like go out on a date with no kids to Chipotle or wherever we want to go to remember why we fell in love in the first place and that one day our kids won't be there in the house and we've got to stay friends. We'll go out with our kids on dates, one-on-one or as a group, because we try to remember that, gosh, we ought to enjoy our kids because they won't be there forever either. We do things like pray and meditate and go to worship and do communion and all these things. Why? Because somehow the things that we do actually do something to us. To remind ourselves of God's story, which is actually our story, what God has done for us, what God is currently doing and where this thing is headed. James Smith also writes this. We learn to love then, not primarily by acquiring information about what we should love, but rather through practices that form the habits of how we love. See, human beings are lovers, not just, not just thinkers. That we're actually shaped, our hearts are shaped and formed and molded by the things that we do. This is why the things that you do are important because they actually do something to you. They shape who you are. This is why the Shema was so important because it reminded Israel. It shaped their heart. It taught them how to live in the world with God and with others and in the creation. And so it is with us, friends. So this morning, may you be people who remember. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is falling apart. Yeah. May you remember why you fell in love in the first place and why you liked that person in the first place because usually you did like each other way back when, right? Remember that. And perhaps that hard outer shell will begin to crack open just a little bit, which is good. Right? Maybe you're here today and you feel like God has abandoned you or that God has left you. You don't know where God even is. May you remember today That even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because God is with you, right? Do me a favor, hold your fingers up. Maybe you're here today and you hate your job. Maybe you need to get a new one. 
But maybe in the meantime, may you remember the incarnation, God becoming flesh. And remember that you can find meaning and beauty even in the most mundane, boring, and awful things. There's beauty there. There can be meaning found there. And remember that you are blessed to be a blessing. So you can use this job somehow, some way to bless others. And if you need to find a new job, find a new one. But in the meantime, look for meaning and beauty there. Remember, maybe it's not your job that you hate. Maybe it's actually that you hate yourself. Maybe you look in the mirror and you just can't stand to see what's looking back at you. And you're never good enough, it feels like. May you remember that you were created in the image of God. And that makes you beautiful. That you are God's beloved sons and God's beloved daughters. And that God sings and dances over you. And that you are beautiful. Maybe you've fallen off the wagon one more time. And everybody around you is like, oh my gosh, again? And you're ready to quit. May you remember that you are not alone. That God is faithful and just to forgive you. That even in the darkest moment on the cross, Jesus offers forgiveness for free. And may you keep going. Maybe you're here today and you're afraid. May you remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. May you remember. Maple Grove, as you leave here today, may you remember that the Shema taught Israel where they had come from, what God had liberated them from and brought them out of, and what God was doing with them now, and that the Shema reminded them what God was going to do with them in the future. Amen. Let's close by standing up one more time. Let's recite the Shema one last time that you and I could leave here today and always remember. And if we have to remind ourselves, may we create rhythms and practices that help us remember. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen.